All right, Agut Mayed. These are the intermediate days of Pesach. And we wanted to talk a little bit about Pesach, and especially about Pesach and parenting. You know, uh, Yom Tov is a time when the family gets together, and you have Chalamoid, you have the intermediate days where kids are generally home from school, and there's just a lot of family contact, a lot more hours of the day than usual with parents and children interacting and uh, potential for getting on each other's nerves, but also incredible potential for bonding and deepening the relationships between every member of the household. So uh, I want to speak a little bit about that, even though we're halfway through Pesach, Tafshin, Pei Base. Uh, but uh, we still have a few days left to uh, capitalize on the opportunity. So let's just talk a little bit about parenting in the Haggadah. We know that the entire obligation, the entire mitzvah of relating the story of our bondage and our redemption is in the context of an answer to the question of a child. That's the way the Torah frames it. In fact, it mentions it in four different places. And the Haggadah explains that according to our sages, this refers to four different answers that are given to four different types of children, the famous four sons or four children of the Haggadah. And so the whole the whole Seder is really about the interaction and the dialogue between parent and child. Something interesting that we find in the way that these four children are described in the Haggadah is we're told that the Torah speaks corresponding to four different types of children. One of them is a chacham. We'll call that a wise child. One is wicked. Um, wicked is a, I'm not sure I would translate it wicked, but uh, a more practical translation would be one who feels wicked, one who feels excluded, one who feels different. And uh, maybe we can circle back to that as far as how to deal with and how to view and understand this uh, so-called wicked child. But uh, let's just continue going down the list of the four children. Then we have... Uh, it says, Ve'echod tam, one who is simple. Ve'echod one who does not know how to formulate a question. He doesn't even know how to ask what's going on. Um, what's interesting is that before each of these children, we get the number one. Echod chacham ve'echod rosha ve'echod tam ve'echod she'ena yedei elishoel. What's going on with this seemingly repetitious formulation? Echod ve'echod ve'echod ve'echod. You could have just told us rosha chacham rosha tam e'ena yedei elishoel. You could have just named all four categories. You already told us that there are arbobanim that there are four children. I know how to count the four myself. It doesn't have to say one 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 one. Okay, so 
I'm going to seemingly change the subject. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu was the redeemer of our, a redeemer of our people. And uh, Moshe Rabbeinu became the leader of the Jewish people after he had established himself as uh, caring for sheep. He was a shepherd, and his, his care for the sheep was such that he individualized the treatment of different sheep. And Hashem saw this, and he said, that's the kind of person that I want leading my people, somebody who can give individualized attention. And uh, we, we, we learned the same thing about David Melech, who is the consummate archetypical monarch, king, leader of the Jewish people. Also, he had that qualification on his uh, resume of having been a shepherd and offering individualized attention to the sheep. Um, what do we know about Moshe Rabbeinu as a father? We know about Moshe as a shepherd, but what do we know about him as a father? Well, we know that he had two sons, and we know their names, Gershom and Eliezer. And something very interesting about these two sons is that we're told that each one was given a name for a reason. And, and the title says, Ve'es shnei boneho, Tzipoido, the mother of, of the two sons of Moshe, had two sons. Asher shem ho'echod Gershaim. One of them, the name of one of them, was Gershaim. And that gives the reason, uh, the reason why he was called Gershaim, ki amar ger ho'isi be'eretz nachria, because I was a stranger in a foreign land. Veshem ho'echod, and the name of the one, Eliezer was Eliezer, and it gives also a name, a reason for the name, Ki Eleke Avi Be'ezri Vyatsileni Mecherev Pare, because the God of my father came to my assistance and saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now it's very interesting here that the Torah uses <laughs> the expression Echod, the shame Ho Echod Gershoim. And then the very in the very next verse it says Veshem Ho Echod Eliezer. Why does it speak that way? Shem Ho Echod Veshem Ho Echod. The name of the one and the name of the one. That's not how Torah normally speaks. For instance, when it's speaking about the Temidin, the two uh, perpetual offerings every single day in the Beis Hamikdash in the Holy Temple, the first korban of the morning and the last korban of the afternoon were a, uh, an offering of a, a communal offering of a sheep each time in the morning, once in the morning and once in the evening. And over there it says, as hakevas you prepare one sheep as a ritual offering for the morning. And then what do you do? Then the 
second sheep, the keves hasheni, you prepare as an offering at the end of the day in the afternoon. So when it speaks about one sheep and another sheep, it says, es hakeves echod taser, taser baker, And then it says, es hakeves hasheni, the second sheep, taser bein haraboim. So you have keves echod, keves hasheni, the first sheep and the second sheep. So we know that Torah knows how to speak this way. Why doesn't it speak this way when speaking about Meshach's two sons? Say, as Hashem ha'echad, Gershom, v'as Hashem ha'sheni, Eliezer, just like it does by the sheep of the Tomid offering, as ha'keves ha'echad and keves ha'sheni. So I saw an answer to this question so the question itself asked and answered by Rav Shamshin of Hirsch, who says like this, the answer is Pashat, that when it comes to sheep, so one sheep, two sheep, three sheep, in fact, that's even a mitzvah when you're doing Meiser Behema and you're counting the tithe of the livestock, you're supposed to count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then ten, ten is the Yasiri, the 10th, which is Kodesh, which is uh, consecrated as a korban. So we count sheep, and I think, uh, I don't know if people really do this, but there's an expression, if you're trying to fall asleep, it's called counting sheep. I guess it's supposed to be boring. Uh, counting sheep, one, two, three. At any rate, when it comes to, Sarav Hirsch says, when it comes to sheep, so you count sheep, one sheep, two sheep, however many sheep there are. But when it comes to kindalach, <laughs> to Jewish children, no, you don't say one, two, three. No, you say, They're both echod. They're both echod. And that should be the view of a father to his children, that each one is like an only child. So if Moshe Rabbeinu, <laughs> even with sheep, going back to what we said before, that he was the shepherd before he was the leader of the Jewish people. If even with sheep, he differentiated and he understood that the needs of one sheep is not like the needs of another sheep. It says with the bigger, tougher sheep, he gave them tough grass. And with the weaker sheep, he gave them soft grass. So even with sheep, he understood he has to differentiate. He has to give each one their own needs. It has to be tailor-made. It has to be bespoke not one size fits all, not off the rack. So how much more so, lahavdil, with with people, with human beings, I should have been understood that you have to give special treatment. You have to give special treatment. So when we read in the Haggadah that we have four sons, which really means four types of son, what it really means is that even though there may be children who present as this type or that type, and you think to yourself, well, how many children do I have? I have the, the Chochum, and I have the Russia, and I have, and we're going to explain it again. I think we really have to go back to explaining the Russia because no parent would call their child the Russia, which is incidentally why the Ben Seder Omeida, the st stubborn rebellious son, never happened, at least according to one Pirush, is because 
<laughs> in order to convict, the parents have to say that the kid's no good. What what Jewish parent is going to say the kid's no good? But let, let, let's we'll circle back to that with with Hashem's help. But a parent may look at it like, okay, I have the kid who's a good student. I have the kid who's the chavreman. He's real social. And I have the kid who's uh, obedient. And I have the kid who's uh, lebedic and he's outgoing. And I have, okay, you know what? Stop a second and view it as if each child were your only child. Instead of looking at the children and comparing them and identifying them by how they appear to be different than their siblings, look at each child like that's the only child that you have. So even when you have four sons sitting at a table and one presents as an identifiable Chochem and one presents as an identifiable Rasha and one presents as an identifiable Tom and one presents as an identifiable She'ena Yedea Lishel, comes Torah and says, Echod Chochem, <laughs> he's your only child. Ve'echod Rasha, he's your only child. Ve'echod Tom, Ve'echod She'ena Yedea Lishel, each one is an only child. Now, I want to give you another pirush on this same idea about the echod ve'echod ve'echod ve'echod. And that's according to Chassidus. There's a sicha from the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe where he speaks about the idea that the echod that it says before, before each of the four sons is the same echod as Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem echod. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is oneness. Oneness. Echod doesn't just mean one God, one deity. Monotheism, that we know already. That's a no-brainer. We know there's only one God. Echod means totality, wholeness. In Oid Milvade, there's nothing but Hashem. He is everything, and everything is Him. And that oneness, that unity, is the core essence and identity within each child so when we look at the child we have to see the echod that's within them we have to see the infinity the eternality the the ineffable name the the godliness that cannot be contained within a finite world that is present in each single child. Why? Because they have a neshama, and that neshama is a chelak elekami mal. It is veritably a portion of godliness, and it's an expression of infinity and nitzchias eternality, which transcends the here and now and transcends the limitations. So you're looking at this child and you're saying, He's uh, five years old or 10 years old or 20 years old or whatever it is. No, no, no. He's eternal. He's timeless. He existed as a neshama before the world was even created. And you're looking at him as smart or this one is, is good-natured or this one's got a temper or this one's got a personality or this one's got trouble focusing. And you're, giving, you're, you're giving them labels <laughs> instead of seeing their essence. Look past the label, look past the diagnosis, and see the achod, see the oneness. This is eternality and infinity and everythingness and totality and, and absolute godliness embodied in this child. That's what it means. That when you look at your child, you have to look past the category, you have to look past the persona, the way they're presenting themselves 
in embodiment, which is not their real essence, it's just uh, the facade, and you have to see, no, this is echod. This is godliness. Now, I want to put these two, th two ideas together, what we were talking about before, that um, every child's an only child. That's what it means, echod, each time. And then the other idea was that every child is a godly child and an expression of godliness. And that's, that's the echod before each child. Those aren't two separate ideas. They're really one idea. They're really one idea. And I'll explain to you what I mean. How do we get over the fact that we look at our children and we do see that they have different personalities and different strengths and different weaknesses and there's children that we get along with better and children that it's harder for us to get along with and children who are easier to, to raise and children who are not easy as, as, as easy to raise and, and children who can understand something the first time and children who have to explain things more than once. How, how come we... Hashem gave us these children who clearly are different from us, different from each other, and and accordingly we we need to to embrace uh, the wisest of all men, uh, King Solomon, Shlema Melech guided us, educate the child according to his way, implying that each one has a different way, and yet you're going to tell me. Um, but pretend that this is your only child. Well, it's so clear that's not my only child because I'm looking at them and this one stands out for this reason and this one stands out for that reason. And it's, it, 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 they, they start to be identified as their differences. And these differences become labels that stick with them and, and that they internalize and that they carry into adulthood and they think of themselves with certain limitations because that's the way they were responded to by parents and by teachers and people in authority. And uh, it's so limiting. It's so limiting upon a child that we give them an identity based on how we assess them to be intellectually, emotionally, socially, uh, at a young age, and then that becomes who they are. This is the Chochem, this is the Roshah, this is the Tam, this is the Sheina Yedei Elisha. What we need to do is look past that. Look past that. That is the packaging. But within the packaging is the essence of the child, and the essence of the child is the, is the Neshama, is the eternal godly soul. So the only way to get over our, our propensity to label our children and limit them with our labels, the only way to get over that is to see the godliness within them, to see their soul, the parent from the soul to the soul. And when you do, when you see this child, not as the smart one, the hyperactive one, the funny one, the cute one, the mischief maker one. And, and you can look past that and see the godliness. This is an eternal, infinite being who is visiting this physical, temporal plane for a 
relatively short amount of time and I was given an incredible responsibility and honor of being the steward of this embodied soul during its formative years. When you can look at them like that, then all of a sudden the outer veneer falls away and all those convenient labels that we stick to them fall away. And we have a whole new derecher, it's a whole new respect and awe of who this being is <laughs> that we were entrusted to take care of. And then when, when, once we grasp that, that, that this, there's this godliness within them, this soul within them, now it doesn't matter which kid appears like what and how they compare to each other. Now each one gets to just be who they are. Each one is an expression of godliness without having to gain an identity by being compared to another child because they already have an identity. The identity is godliness, their soul. So you see how those two ideas come together. The idea of echod chocham, that each echod means each child is an only child, just like Maisha Rabbeinu, Shem Ho'echod, V'Shem Ho'echod, that both are called echod. That idea of each child being an only child, and the idea of Shema Yisrael, Shem Alekino, Shem Echod, that the echod before each child is, is the godly echod, the godly oneness that's within them. In other words, I'll say it really simple. How do we transcend and, 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 and overcome the propensity to label our children and to limit them with these labels and come to realize that they are, each one is, is limitless by recognizing the godliness within them. Because godliness is unlimited. Godliness is infinite. So if you want to realize that you don't have a smart kid and a wicked kid and a simple kid and a kid who doesn't know how to ask, but really you have four kids who may present in those different ways, but that's incidental, that's secondary. What you really have are four only children, each of whom is absolutely unlimited, absolutely infinite. So I want to circle back to the idea of, of the Russia because I said I would, and I think it's important. Even this, this Russia, who we translate as, as wicked, but it's such a poor translation. What's really his problem is that he excludes himself. He doesn't feel like he's part of things. And the answer that we give him is apparently very harsh. We tell him, if you would have been in Mitzrayim, you would not have been redeemed. Don't worry. It didn't happen for you. It happened for me. Why would we reinforce his terminal uniqueness? Why would we tell him, yeah, you're right to feel apart from instead of a part of? And I'll tell you a beautiful answer from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which is, the emphasis is on if you would have been there, you would not have been redeemed. You see, in Mitzrayim, four-fifths of the Jewish people weren't redeemed because they didn't identify with their own redemptive quality. They didn't feel they were part of the redemption. 
And in Mitzrayim, it was before Matan Torah. So if you weren't feeling it, then okay, because you can just, you can define however you want. If you're not part of the Jewish people, fine. So you're not part of the Jewish people. But after Matan Torah, when our Jewishness became embedded within our very essence, eh, so you feel less Jewish, doesn't matter. Your subjectivity doesn't change the objective fact that you are still redemptive quality. You still are worthy of redemption, and you will be redeemed. So when we tell the, the, the wicked son or the one who feels wicked, when we tell him, if you would have been in Mitzrayim, you would have been one of those four-fifths who, four who weren't redeemed, what we mean is, you know what? Once upon a time, somebody who felt disconnected from the Jewish people that sealed his fate, and he became disconnected from them, God forbid. But now, thank God, we're in a different time, in a different reality. Hashem gave the Torah, and at the moment when Hashem gave the Torah to, the, to, to our people, then, like we say uh, every day in the, in, in, of Yom Tif, in the Shemin Esri, what is the Bechira that you chose? You chose the Jewish people. That is an eternal quality, an eternal essential quality that Hashem imbued within us. That is our, our uh, inescapable reality that we have this embedded identity. And now that uh, the Torah was given, there will be no Jew left behind. So in Egypt, it was before Ma'antaira, four-fifths of the Jewish people were left behind. When Mashiach comes, even someone who feels excluded will be brought into the fold and shown that they are just as much intrinsically part of the Jewish people as the Chochem. Afapishachata Yisrael who even this, this is what the Gemara tells us. Even one who sins, he's still called a Yisrael. And not just Yankiv, but Yisrael. There are two different names for the Jewish people. Yisrael is the Shema Maila, is the more complimentary name. It means Li Roish, I have a head. It's talking about the, the exceptional qualities of the Jew. At any rate, the point is this. Pesach... Yom Tov in general, but especially Pesach, is a time when we have to think about our relationship with our children in a very practical sense. We're spending a lot of time with them, and uh, it's a good time right now to start thinking about our children as neshamas. You know, people ask, well, how do I do it? I understand that some of my thoughts about my child are limiting. I know it because <laughs> people have told me this very often. I know that my own identity was limited by the way that adults in my life thought of me, and I still can't shake it, or it's very difficult for me to, to get past it. And I know I'm doing it to my own child. How do I stop doing that? So I'm sorry I don't have a simple uh, secular answer for you, like some type of tip or trick that you can follow. You know, uh, say these words or, uh, I don't know, do this, uh, do this exercise. The answer is a spiritual answer, and it's a deep answer, which is you have to tap into your amuna, into your faith, that your child isn't just this little person who happens to live in your house right now. They are an eternal being, a neshama that existed before the creation of the world, and you have to start seeing them as such. I, I want to mention, this is not a pitch, by the way, it's not a sales pitch, for my parenting course, but I do want to mention that I have a parenting course that's coming up right after Pesach. 
Um, first of all, before I tell you about the parenting course, because I, I want it to be known that I've put out hours of content for, for free on parenting. And I invite everyone to enjoy all of that content. If you go to soulwords.org, which is my site, that's the easiest way to find it all in one place. You just go to either you could search the word parenting or you can go to the topics on the top of uh, soulwords.org on the homepage. You go to topics and under topics, one of the topics, topics is parenting. And there are, are hours and hours of classes re related to parenting. And that's all 100% free and always will be free. And I just want everyone to know those resources exist. In addition to that, there is a course and the course is we do charge money for the course because there's a limited amount of people can take the course at a time. And it's not like something I just can record and I put it out on the internet and then it doesn't matter how many people saw it. There's one-on-one -on -one interaction involved. It's a real class. It happens live every single week. We get, we have a group for the men and we have a group for the women, two different nights of, of the week. And, uh, there's time for interaction, and then there's a WhatsApp group that goes for the whole week from class to class where we discuss what we're working on from the previous class, and I monitor the, the WhatsApp group, and I give interaction, I answer questions. and So there's a limit to how many people that I can um, have in each class. So for that, uh, that's, that's something that we do charge for, and it's coming. I've only done it um, for the public uh, this is my third time doing it for the public. It's been in development for a few years. Uh, we did it for about 20 different groups during the development part of the curriculum. And then when after we did it for about 20 groups, we finally launched it publicly, made it available to anyone who wants. And this is the third time we're doing it for the general public. So um, why am I telling you this? Because... It's nice to listen to a shear and you hear a class and uh, it's hopefully more than just inspiring. Hopefully it gives you some clarity, this idea that I'm speaking about right now, about the echod, that each child has that shema yisrael, shema lokeno, echod, has that godly oneness within them, which is their soul. And that, that, that idea itself, I think, is something that each of us can meditate on uh, for these days of Pesach. But if you need something more than that, Many of us do. I, I myself <laughs> have benefited. I've given this parenting course. Like I said, we did it 20 times while it was in beta, and now this is the third time that I'm giving it for the public. So I've done it now more than 20 times, and I've, every time I gain something from it, it's a structured, systemized way for absorbing some of these deeper ideas uh, about parenting. Uh, for instance, how to view our children as a neshama. And uh, anyone who wants to take the course, I, I'm, I'm just going to give you the URL and you can go find out more information and that'll be enough uh, talking about the course. But that's at soulwords.org slash parenting. Soulwords, S-O-U-L-W-O-R-D-S dot org. I hope everyone who enjoys my shirim knows about soulwords.org because that's the easiest place to find my content. Of course, you can also find my content on YouTube. You can find it on Torah anytime and on all the different uh, podcast platforms. But soulwords.org slash parenting. And over there, soulwords.org slash parenting, you can find the information about the course that's coming up. Uh, it's launching just a few days after Pesach. So really, you have to get on it. And like I said, the space is limited for uh, one group of men, one group of women, and it's starting uh, literally a few days after, after Yom Tov. 
So please check it out at soulwords.org slash parenting. Okay, fine. So that's enough speaking about the course. Um, I just wanted to maybe wrap things up a little bit by uh, speaking in general now about parenting, not necessarily uh, Pesach-related. And although definitely applicable during Pesach, during this time when we have so much interaction with the, with our children. Um, and, and this is an idea from the course. So here you're getting this. <laughs> you see, I'm, I'm not the best uh, businessman in the world. I, I'm, I'm passionate about these ideas, and therefore I don't really hold back from giving them out for free. It's just there's a certain limit to my time. So for the actual six-week course, I should have mentioned it is a six-week course. So there, where I'm walking a group through this process, there's only one of me. So I can only, you know, for that, that, that for that, uh, you know, is a, is a course that we charge for. But at any rate, the information is free. And by the way, all this information in the course is from Toyota, and Toyota is free. So <laughs> there's no patent on it. And... Uh, yeah, whatever, whatever I know, I'm very happy to share. And uh, okay, so regarding parenting, um, I was speaking before about the idea that your child is not just this little person who has this personality or these strengths or these challenges, and there's certainly not this diagnosis or this label. Your child is bigger than all of that. Your child is transcendent of all of that because essentially your child is a soul and the soul is an expression of, of godliness which is indefinable and indescribable. And what that really means is that we don't even really know who our children are. Um, you know, do we even know who adults are? We see this person, and we, we see this person's tall, this person's short, this person's smart, this person's not so smart, this person's rich, this person's poor. That's the person. That's the person. It's a materialistic way of looking at people. And by materialistic, I don't just mean um, valuing money and uh, monetary acquisitions. That's not all materialism is. Materialism uh, <clears throat> is actually a worldview. It's an ism that defines all reality as being capable of being reduced to matter. That's what materialism means. It's related to the word matter. In other words, that ultimately there's only a physical world. There's only physical reality. There is no spiritual reality. Now, obviously, as Jews, that idea is patently absurd to us. The idea that there's only a physical plane and there's no spiritual dimension, there's no spiritual reality. Obviously, as, as believing Jews, we know that that's absolute falsehood and in fact the the spiritual reality or maybe i should say in plural spiritual realities the oilamice we call them worlds or universes are 
actually more diverse and more um, plentiful than the physical world. The physical world is just one plane of reality, and it's a rather limited one. I mean, it's the most limited plane of reality. Uh, the physical world is limited. It's, it has the most limitations. It's the time-space continuum where everything can only be in one place at one time, and uh, it can only take place at one time, and uh, it's very rigidly defined by these parameters of time and space. The spiritual realms are, are much more loose and uh, fluid, and uh, spiritual reality is, is much less limited. Of course, it's still limited. It's still a creation. It's not godliness. Only godliness is truly infinite. But that's the idea of, of the Seydrishtauschlis, the, that there are levels of reality. A world, like I was talking about before, the, the word for world is, is oilam, olam which uh, is from the same etymological root in the holy tongue as halim, which means concealment. So think of a universe as a layer of concealment that masks creator with creation so that we don't see creator, instead we see creation. And the more layers there are, the more compounded the effect is. Imagine like uh, translucent curtains on a, on a window and if you put enough of those, enough layers of those translucent curtains on the window, you're going to get an opaque effect where you don't see that it's light outside at all. So each world is another layer, is another concealment, which makes us see creation instead of seeing the real core reality, which is the infinite creator. Um, part of parenting and really, part of the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael and loving your fellow as yourself is the ability to see beyond this concealment and to realize that the person you're speaking to isn't just the container, isn't just the physical vessel as it's presenting to you as tall, short, handsome, ugly, rich, poor, uh, or any of these incidental characteristics that really only pertain to the material self. We have to be deeper than that, and we have to see the spiritual reality. And the spiritual reality doesn't just mean that um, there's a heaven where the angels fly. No, no. The spiritual reality means right here in the physical realm where I'm having an experience with my five senses, simultaneously and concurrently, there's, an, there's a deeper, richer experience that I'm incapable of having. Why? Because I'm being bombarded with, with this stimuli, with these, with these stimuli, the, the physical stimuli that are... Um, engaging my five senses. So I'm only experiencing that which is engaging my body. But really, right now, I'm having a spiritual experience, regardless of how conscious I am of that. This is what I want to tell parents, and really all of us who deal with other human beings. See people as who they really are. Try to see beyond the labels, 
and the the assessments and the diagnoses and even the complimentary ones even oh this son is my ben chochem even the complimentary labels because those are also incidental those are also secondary and try to see yourself your spouse your children your neighbors and uh, ultimately the stranger walking down the street try to see each person as a manifestation of indescribable infinite eternal oneness and 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 after you really connect with that idea then try to engage with them as your five senses are sizing them up and evaluating them. You know, uh, there was a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, named Rebbe Hillel Paracher. And Rebbe Hillel was a big Talmud Chacham. He was, he was a gon, he was a, he was a genius. And uh, it's very funny, now is not the time to tell the whole story, but he never saw the Alter Rebbe even though he lived in the time of the Alter Rebbe, and he wanted to become an adherent of the Alter Rebbe. But as fate would have it, every time he would come to town to meet the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe had just left. Later on, he, he attached himself to the son of the Alter Rebbe, the Mitle Rebbe, Rebbe Doivber, and he became a great chassid of Rebbe Doivber, as well as the grandson of the, the Alter Rebbe, the Tzamech Tzedek, Rebbe Hillel was a, was a chassid of, of, of the Alter Rebbe and the Mitle Rebbe and the Tzemach Tzedek. But this Rebbe Hillel, when he wanted to see the Alter Rebbe, what happened is, as I mentioned, every time he would come to a town, they would say, oh, the, the Alter Rebbe just left. Or back then, they would call, the way they referred to him was the Lajne Magid, the preacher from Yoshna. So uh, we in Chabad call him the Alter Rebbe. Many people call him the Balatanya or the Balatanya of Aruch. But back then they called him the Lajne Magid. So the Lajna Magid just left. What can I tell you? So uh, one time Reb Hill decided, this time I'm not going uh, not gonna to miss out. He found out the Alter Rebbe's itinerary, and he ran ahead to the town where the Alter Rebbe was supposed to arrive, and he checked into the hotel where the Alter Rebbe was going to be staying, and he hid under the bed. <laughs> he found out the room, and he hid under the bed. And he had planned, what is he going to do? As soon as the Alter Rebbe walks into the room, he's going to tell him about his chidush, his novel interpretation of um, the tractate. We, we call it Erchen, uh, but it's, uh, I think it's grammatically properly pronounced Arochen. Uh, it's, a, it's a small tractate, but a, comp a complicated tractate in, uh, in Gemara, in the Talmud. And it speaks about the idea of an erech, which is an evaluation. That's the best translation I can give for it in English. But these are consecrated values. A person who wants to dedicate, makes a, a, a monetary donation, a gift to the Beis HaMikdash, to the Holy Temple, in the times when the Holy Temple stood in Jerusalem. So there are different ways to formulate that donation. But one interesting way that the Teda says you could formulate the donation is you could say, I'm pledging the value of so-and-so. And then there's like, you know, like the actuaries in the insurance business, they have like different, like based on your gender and your age and everything, they have like charts. So there are charts, how many, um, uh, uh, 
what, what's the monetary value or evaluation or the erich of pledging the, the monetary value of this person as a gift that you now are obligated to donate to the base of Megdash. At any rate, um, the, the point of the story is, is that um, Rebhel was hiding under the bed and he was going to jump out and say his chidush about Erechen. He was going to relate to the Alter Rebbe some novel Talmudic interpretation that uh, he had regarding this, this tractate. So he's hiding under the bed and the door opens and he sees the Alter Rebbe's feet and he's ready to jump out. And before he can jump out, he hears the Alter Rebbe say, if a younger man has a question about evaluations <laughs> Erechen is evaluations he ought to first evaluate himself the hill fainted <laughs> and when he came to the Altarebbe had left town already so I never got to see him if a younger man has a question about evaluations he ought to first evaluate himself the Rebbe was saying that, you know, you're coming to attach yourself to me based on your scholarship, based on your identity as a scholar. It's not a bad thing. You want to come tell me Chidusha it's, it's a beautiful thing. But it's that you're trying to, def to define yourself and how I'm supposed to relate to you based on the fact that you have these scholarly questions. You know what? The whole thing is, is, is predicated on a false sense of identity. You have a question about evaluations, meaning to say, and if you wouldn't be a Torah scholar, I wouldn't be able to be your Rebbe. I mean, I'm, I'm liberally interpreting the meaning of the Alter Rebbe's words, but I'm, 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 I'm telling you the gist of it. The Alter Rebbe is telling this young scholar, you're here to connect yourself to me, to have this intimate soul-to-soul -soul bond. But then you want to define yourself as a scholar and if you wouldn't be a scholar, then we wouldn't be able to have a soul-to-soul -soul bond. Is that the implication? So you need to evaluate yourself. And you need to think about what your value really is. You need to think about what your value really is. And yes, of course, there's a reality that you have different ages and different genders. And these things are real. Of course, they are real. But they're a reality of, of the material facade. There's a deeper reality, which is the oneness and the godliness which pervades, pervades all. And that's what the relationship has to be founded upon. When that's the foundation of it, then yes, of course, we'll go back and we'll look at the different details of who you are. One doesn't have to negate the other, you see. Just because we see our children all as one child, only children, uh, an expression of oneness, it doesn't mean then that we don't try to tailor-make their chinuch. Chaneich Lenar Al Pidarkoi still stands, right? And, we're, and, we're, and if this child needs a tutor, we're going to get him a tutor. And this child needs to be held back a year, we'll hold him back. And this child needs to be taken out of school and, 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 and learn at home, then we're going to do that. Or if this child needs to, uh, this child needs to be uh, advanced another year, he has to skip a, a skip a grade. Whatever we have to do, whatever we have to do, we're going to do it. Of course we are. But you see, that's not the starting point. That's, that, that's after. That's after. The starting point is first, you're unlimited. You're godly. You're eternal. You have a soul. 
and you are in, you're, you're, you are therefore inherently worthy. And you don't have to earn your worth by being smart or being by being good at school or being good at making friends or being good at listening to your mommy and tati. Your worth, all of those are good things, and it's fine. If we can develop your ability to excel in any of those areas, we will, because that's called being a good parent, is to help you excel in areas in which you can excel. But that doesn't establish your identity nor your worth. Your identity and your worth are, are established by the fact that you are a soul, that you are an infinite being, which has intrinsic value, inherent value. You don't have to acquire your value by doing something or performing an act or, or gaining someone's approval. We first established that fact. We established that you are an infinitely worthy being. You are a soul. Then we can go back and we can look at, well, what strengths does this child have and what weaknesses does this child have and what can we do to cater to that and to tailor make a, uh, a program of chinuch that's going to be appropriate for each child. Of course we do. Of course we do that. But that's after. That's after we first acknowledge the inherent value of the child as a neshama. So first, the spiritual reality, then the material facts. First, we acknowledge you are a soul. Then we will deal with the particulars of your embodiment, whether in this Gilgal you are born with some, to, with a, with, with, into a body with a with a smarter brain or a slower brain or a different way of looking at things or neuro, neurodivergent or neurotypical or whatever it is. Those are secondary things. But what's primary is you are godly. You are a soul. Okay. So um, have fun with your kids and have fun getting to know each of them on a real meaningful, deep soul level. And... Uh, Yeah, enjoy enjoy, enjoy the umtif. <laughs>